Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Off and running Friday afternoon Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross is off today. That means we're going to have some fun. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott, Rippy with you. And right out of the gate, the ceasefire text line is open. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. As always, if you're going to be a part of the show, do so safely. Do not text and drive. A ton to get to with you on this Friday afternoon. We've got XFL starting tomorrow. I haven't put the poll question up yet. I will in a little bit. How interested are you in the second run of the already failed off-season football league. We'll talk about that. We got hoops games coming up this weekend. Not a must-win, I guess, but a probably-shouldn't-lose game for Mississippi State. Ole Miss has Florida coming to town uh, also (laughs) tomorrow. Mississippi State women got a a big win. Three in a row in Knoxville, which, hey, Dad, correct me if I'm wrong here, has never happened before? Never happened in SEC history. No SEC team has ever won three straight games in Knoxville. It's pretty uh, remarkable. We've also got Donald Trump is going to at some point weigh in on the name, image, and likeness debate. Looking forward to that. Baylor's about to get slapped by the NCAA. Combine invites are out and a whole lot more with you. But uh, guys, Friday afternoon, what's up? Not much. Not much. It's, It's getting sunny. Again, I wish, you know, we could get maybe a few more degrees up. We'll have some good opening day weather. I'm, I'm holding out hope that things are going to change. What is the early forecast, Rippy? For? Opening day. Uh, I don't know. I don't check. Richard said it's going to be 70 and sunny, so I'm just going to wait till he's wrong. I'm not going to check. <laughs> but. So my weather app says uh, Friday and Sunday it's going to rain here in Jackson. But uh, I'll have to look up Oxford and Starkville here in a little bit. But yeah, that's just one week away. We're also going to do lineup projections. I know we looked at some recently from D1 Baseball and others, but uh, Rippy gave me the idea this morning. He's got a lineup projection for Ole Miss. We're going to get that. We're going to get the same thing from Haydad. But first, I want to start with this, actually, because this, uh, I guess it broke yesterday, Rippy, that uh, Doug Nikhazy, which you covered uh, the arrest earlier this week, um, is not going to miss his opening day start. We do get a text, and this is why we're going to start the show this way from the 207 area code. I don't know where that is, but thank you for listening. It says, okay, Richard Cross, let's hear your take on the, air quote, severe punishment handed out by Mike Bianco that lets Doug Nikhazy start versus Louisville. He challenges Richard to be consistent. Um, so I don't know what you guys talked about or what his stance on this would be. I actually have not spoken to Richard today or since this news broke, so I have no idea what he thinks about it, but uh, we will go around the table here and uh, give our opinion on it. 
not going to miss the opening day start after uh, a DUI arrest. What do you guys think about that? We'll start with you, Haydad. I'm a little surprised. I thought he would miss one start. And, and my guess, and this is the guess, but my guess is if they were playing Eastern Kentucky or, you know, Louisiana, Monroe, or something like that, uh, Nikhazy might sit this one out. But against the number one team in the nation, that you want your ace out there. So, my, and they'll just handle it internally. I wasn't necessarily surprised in the sense that it's uh, they kind of had a change in punishment structure in terms of how they deal with DUIs and these types of related offenses. And so I, I understand why Haydad would like think that like it, it, it's opponent based. From what I understand, and again, that's just great assault, whatever. I understand that's not the case because you remember this happened to Andy Pagnazzi in 2017, and he actually pitched the next day. So I think it's more of a change in how they punish these types of things rather than a spot thing and it being the number one team in the country. I know for people on the outside that might be more difficult to believe. I'm just telling you what I know. And so I wasn't... So I don't remember that. Hold on. So Andy Pagnazzi... I don't even uh, remember him. 2016 season, I think. 2016 season, if I'm not mistaken. No, maybe it was 17. It was whatever. I think it may have been seven. It was 16 or 17. I can't remember if it was the team that really struggled or that team that hosted a regional that wasn't really supposed to. I don't remember. But he got one on a weekend series and actually pitched the next day. I think they were playing. Well, I'm not actually even about to try to guess who they were playing that weekend because I don't remember. But, oh, but uh, also he, a pitcher. DUI arrest yeah. the day before a game and still pitched that day? Maybe it was earlier in the week, but I, I want to say it was within a day or two before. Again, I, I, I you're, you're challenging my memory here, but d- Putting you on the spot. With, Sorry about that. Yeah, with the same the pitch the same weekend. I want to say it was a day or two after. So I, I believe this to be a change in the way they punish these things in terms of oh well we it, oh we just need him out there for Louisville. I can see how that is perceived. Like that's certainly a fair perception. I'm just telling you what I know. So based off that, I, I wasn't surprised. Now whether should he miss game time or not, I guess that's a whole other question because you know to outside to on the outside if a player doesn't miss. You know, game action as far as punishment, then it gives the illusion that there was no punishment at all. And so, you know, if you want to believe that he should be, like, should miss game action, totally fair to believe it. I'm just, again, just telling you what I've learned and gathered. We get one text here from the 662 that says, I've pitched drunk plenty of times. Um, you probably would have been fine suspending him for the, the, for the first game, I, it, there's two sides to every coin. Almost every time something like this happens to an Ole Miss or a Mississippi State player, it, you get it's the same reaction. It is extremely predictable. It is uh, the other side wants him to be shot to the moon, and yeah. the, the the guilty side wants nothing to happen. And the truth always tends to lie somewhere in the middle. So, Go ahead. We talked about it yesterday. The- My love of hypocrisy. Yeah, <laughs> hey Dad, we talked about this on the podcast this morning, and I, I, I had we were doing the mailbag Friday, and I was trying to go through my mentions to find the questions, and I had state and Ole Miss people arguing about this very thing uh, in my mentions. And you want to know what the first three, uh, the first three names I saw? You ready for this? Do it. Rankin Dog, Gridiron Dog, and Salty Dog. You can't even make it up. <laughs> I'm sure there's a superhero rebel or Rebel sixty eight in here too. Those are just the first three I saw. No, you're not. Did you answer my question? Did you go into more detail? Uh, no, I'm, I'm just going to make you not go to Gus's. I'm, I'm going to go now because you didn't answer my question. Now, 
Better place like, to what eat. Are you, what are you going to do to stop me, Rippy? We'll you going to get in my way? <laughs> but, uh, by the way, whoever texted in about pitching drunk, Doc Ellis is not impressed. Um, it's true. It's uh, story. The guy that started this conversation from the 207 says, wait a minute. So I we got to put words in Richard's mouth here a little bit because I don't I actually was not here when this happened either. Um, but he says, wait a minute. Richard bashed Moorhead for not suspending Willie Gay and mocked his culture of no discipline. What gives? Um, I will say this, though. It, knocking your own quarterback out of a game by breaking his face probably is slightly different, but I do understand your point. And as with all things, maybe there's layer and nuance. For example, the the Willie Gay incident was clearly another example of a culture of, you can call it lack of accountability or whatever, within Joe Moorhead's program. If that incident was completely isolated, then I think it would have been easier to to brush aside. And also, he was not suspended. So whether that is because of a cultural issue or maybe, I I said on the Sunday show, that sometimes you can say something that gets you punched in the face and you deserve it. So since we weren't there, we, we don't really know. It was a sign of a culture issue because a linebacker punched his own quarterback in the face, knocking him out of a bowl game. This is yeah, different, fair, but it's a fair, fair. It's a fair question. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's definitely fair. And, and you know, see, both, now this guy's actions. being obtuse. He he just said so. Yeah. Drunk driving and endangering lives is better than hitting a quarterback. Did you hear no, anything you that I just service. said? Thank you for yeah, your no, service. Nobody, nobody said those things. Nobody is. He saying also that. called you Richard Cross. That's yeah. Fair. So I mean, it it just again, if this when this when the, when the shoes on the other foot, we'll, we'll we'll have to deal with it from the other side. So, but no, that, neither one of those things are good. You know, assault isn't better than drunk driving. Neither one are good. They are both no. technically illegal. They're both very stupid. Not even technically, things. they're both illegal. Right. There's no technically to it. Um, it's a very stupid thing, and this does get treated differently in part because even though he, when you do that, you do put other people's lives in danger. Luckily, in this situation, nobody got. It's an actual question, though. For, for I guess for Rippy, how old is Nikhazy? Is he twenty one? No, I don't. Well, actually, I need to double check that. I don't believe so. Do not believe he is a draft eligible sophomore. That's so what I'm, under I'm worried about. I'm worried about is he underage drinking? No, no, that's how I would have known. Uh, okay. Like, so I, I believe he is under 21. I'm about 99% sure, but I'll double-check that right now. Okay. A lot of text coming in. This is a, a definitely one of those subjects that gets people fired up one way or the other. I think uh, a suspension for a DUI probably was would have been warranted. And a one-game suspension, yeah, would not have. And here's the thing. They could do it next weekend, and nobody would I be mean, like, we're going to we're gonna, – we, we looked into it, and next weekend it's going to happen. Nobody says anything. The XFL, it begins this weekend. Are you interested? We'll get to that next. Super Talk Mississippi. Ooh, yeah. I tried to send the poll out for you, but Twitter, for some reason, is just uh, not letting me do it. The question is... How interested are you in the XFL? Very interested, you will watch. Kind of interested, you might watch, or simply not at all. We'll get to those results later on in the show. A few more of your texts, though. Don't want to ignore you guys on this Friday afternoon. One here from the 662 that says, It's a bad decision by the kid. Hopefully he will learn. Don't feel like he should have been suspended. 
if the coach does not. Louie from the 662 says, didn't Mississippi State get to choose when their football players sat out? They did, but only because of the volume of players involved. And so right. the it NCAA a, let it them... a safety issue. Right. It was how they looked at it. They said, because you only have so many players, if somebody gets hurt, you could end up, it could end up being bad, basically. They, they didn't want to put Mississippi State in a position where they were going to have to play injured players or have to move people into positions where they could get injured. That's why Lee Autry played in the USM game because State lost a couple of defensive tackles against uh, Louisiana, and they had to move some, some some things around. Otherwise, he would have played in the same games that Willie Gay played in. Thomas and Greenwood says, How dare you not share my outrage and thereby devalue my opinions? Uh, that is that is Twitter in a nutshell, my friend. Mike in Grand Bay says, I played for a local company softball team, and if you weren't drinking beer, you weren't playing. Uh, from the 601, don't drink in text. Don't do uh, don't do anything in text. Stay off your phones for a little while. That is a, a challenge that I have received. Unless you're listening to the show on your phone. Right. Don't case, drink don't in do text it. is sound advice. <laughs> he knows from experience. Yeah, see... It's, Someone's going to an XFL game, not to bounce around here, but I just saw the text. Awesome. Oh, cool. So uh, one more. I uh, I want to get to to King Biscuit. I, actually, it hasn't completely gone through. Uh, so King Biscuit, I'll get to your text in a little bit. We're just having a, a slow day here uh, on the text line, getting them to come in. But yeah, I think you know probably should have suspended him. But I, may, whatever the internal punishment is, maybe it was enough. Maybe. Um, it's out of character for the kid. I, I don't know. I I do know though that I was once nineteen, twenty, and really stupid, and I'm probably lucky that I the same thing didn't happen to me before I grew up a little bit. And some of you listening probably think you're that still, I'm still stupid still, and haven't yeah, grown up a bit. Um, yeah. But I, I am. It's hard for me to to sit here with the mic and just yell and, and scream at him for doing something that I would have. I'm lucky to not have gotten in trouble for myself. And thank God that nothing worse happened to me. Um, just like a, a lot of you out there. I said, I'll, I'll, I'll say it. I think he should be suspended, but if they're not going to do it, I mean, I, I understand. Philip and Starkville. And uh, we will end on this one and then switch over to the XFL. I'd say this, say this no matter the sport or the school. You get in a fight in practice, you handle according to the reasons, and it could warrant a suspension. You get a DUI, you broke the law, you should have some type of suspension and you do it as an underage kid, it should be double the suspension, period. It's a state law. It could affect so many things. Ask those that have been impacted. Um, i got to finish this text. Okay, ask someone that has been killed by a uh, a drunk driver. That is a, a good point there, uh, Philip. and it's hard to argue with you. Um, just simply, simply that. So turning the page now, the XFL this weekend, how excited are you guys for it? I would I would answer the poll question as kind of I'll watch I'll, I want to see how it looks. There's obviously a lot of familiar names, um, and it's football that that it automatically has a hook for me right there. But to say that I'm you know planning a watch party or anything like that, I wouldn't go that far. Rippy, um, I mean if it's on like and I don't have anything to do, I'll watch. But outside of that, I don't know. I mean. I'm interested to see last year people get intoxicated by like the first sign of spring football to whereas like last year the uh the Alliance of American Insurance or whatever it was 
<laughs> played one weekend and everyone was like, hey, this isn't that bad. I'll probably be interested. And then like two weeks later, you never heard about it again. The so television ratings fell off a cliff, man. The opening weekend was really good. We're talking like a million eight, two million people, which is good for off-season football. It really is. And by week three, it was like 400,000. So I'll be interested to see with like how this sustainable it is, but I'll watch it. I mean, I'm I'm not I won't plan my day around it. We do have a listener headed to the Dallas St. Louis game this Sunday. By the way, the schedule, if you're interested, it starts tomorrow, two games tomorrow, two games Sunday. Seattle at DC Saturday. That's at one o'clock on ABC. LA at Houston. That is Saturday at four on Fox. And then the two Sunday games, Tampa Bay at New York, Sunday at one at obviously Sunday. At one on Fox in St. Louis at Dallas, that is on ESPN. So four professional football games this weekend. I have a feeling, see, I don't want to be a pessimist because I would enjoy some off-season football, uh, especially Sunday. My wife, is, her and her mom are going to a Celine Dion concert. So I have the day with just me and the little guy all day long. I'll put on some football. There's nothing else That's for me to do. That's the makings of a diehard Roughnecks fan. He was there on day one. Let's go. <laughs> what was the team we, we picked last year? Well, for the Alliance? Yeah, you were, you put, you were an you Iron fan. the Apollos. Fan, and I was an Apollos yeah. fan, that's right. Yeah, I went with the Iron. Old, the uh, head ball coach got me. Yeah, yeah. They were the champions. You did good. See, I, I pick well. I haven't decided who I'm going to pick uh, this time just yet. I, just, I love the name Roughnecks. I just love, I'm going to be a name. Houston fan. It's, 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 it's completely unique. I don't think so I'm going it's... With that. I don't think it's going to work. It, not because it it won't be good football, because they have some name guys, and, and they're okay, and it'll be competitive, and everybody loves more football. But the way I, I think about it is sports fans are, are kind of creatures of habit. And in order to break that, which was, sidebar, why it was so important to make coaching changes the way that we saw here because once you lose fans and they develop a new habit in the fall it's hard to get them to come back uh, South Carolina is going to deal with that this offseason I, I was home for a few days and talking to people around there it sounds the exact same as it did here people just are out because they know the outcome they're not competitive and they're not going to go to games anymore and once people are gone it's going to be really hard to pull them back I think it's the same thing here with viewership now that the Super Bowl is over, we kind of have our routine. It, we yeah. turn yeah. to NBA or we turn to maybe the kids get out for spring break. And we, we plan all of this stuff and we are very deep in our routine. And the only way to break that is to be super compelling. Like we have the Olympics this summer. Tokyo, I believe. Tokyo 2020. And the Olympics are so compelling and unique that usually summer stuff doesn't work. Sports fans are on vacation, they're checked out, but the Olympics always do really well because it's national pride. Like Simone Biles, for example, is probably the best pound-for-pound, considering her size, athlete maybe ever. I mean, she's exceptional. And Rippy this morning brought up Michael Phelps as one of those people that you just had to sit down and watch. It was compelling content. But with all due respect to the XFL, to get people to break their routine and watch football in March is Aaron Murray and Cardale Jones the people that are going to get you to do that? And I don't think it'll so. Get, it'll get some diehards in there, you know. And there are going to be people like me who just like to watch football. Um, and, and some people over the text line are making the point that the league is funded for three years. You know, and Vince McMahon 
being a billionaire, you know, he's already running the show there. So the, I don't think money's a big issue. I know the WWE has been hurting a little bit, but not to the point where it's going to hurt him. So, yeah, I, I think I think you know they're they're going to at least have the opportunity to do this. And you're 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 completely right, by the way, because you know for most times after the Super Bowl, I really do just sort of because I know it's gone, right? I just know, and so I start paying attention to basketball a little bit more, and I start getting ready for baseball. But now, I mean, I'll at least check it out. And I will check it out. And if you remember last year, the first week of the AAF, I watched and I was very excited. I was like, this is the quality of the product wasn't bad. The football was okay. And I thought it was, I thought it was good. And I, I, I checked back in for week two and I, I was keeping up and, you know, it just went away. So if, if we watch on Saturday or Sunday and, and you watch a game and it looks like a, you expect a, you know, something between the college and NFL game to look, you'll have my interest. You're also not going to know until you're year two or year three. Like you're going to spend the first year and a half of anything you're doing building an audience or building a base. So like you're not going to know whether this is going to sink or float until the second or third year. Well, unless like some the, kind of random NHL team owner comes in and buys a controlling stake and then folds it for app technology. Yeah, exactly. Like just <laughs> it would take something insane. Michael Popperville says he'll watch the XFL, but he's not going. Go, not going to smoke a brisket and drink a case of beer over it. Yeah, kind of feels Talk like that's the general years. consensus. But yeah, it's on. Whatever. I'm telling you, I'll watch every game on Sunday, uh, bouncing my son on my lap. You know, just watching football. That's what I'll do. Um, but outside of that, I don't know. I mean, we've got baseball around here next weekend, and ninety percent of our listening audience is going to be either at the ballpark or watching baseball, not even thinking about Tampa, the, what are they, the Dragons? and the Vipers. The, Vipers, the, bro. The Tampa Vipers and the Dallas Seattle's Renegades. The Dragons. Oh, Seattle's okay. the Dragons. Yeah. Bunch of your texts Seattle and Pisgah High School, the only Dragons I know in sports. <laughs> we'll get to your texts, uh, continue on this conversation next. Sports Talk Mississippi. Stick around. Welcome back in Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you on this Friday afternoon. A little snow fell in North Mississippi, didn't it? Or at least they were expecting it to. Yeah, they got a little bit up there. Yeah, it was 70 degrees on Monday. I want to point that out. (laughs) It just did nothing but rain here last night. Did it snow, Rippey? Same here. It snowed a little bit last night, but the ground wasn't cold enough for it to stick. So you didn't get to like make snow angels and stuff like you did last year? No, I let my roommate's dog outside to pee, and he came back covered in snow, so that's how I figured out. <laughs> we get a text here from the 662, uh, and I'm going to give you, uh, listener, just a, a little bit of advice. I know you didn't ask for it, but uh, I think this is important. You say, I'm going to watch the XFL. I don't watch the NFL because of their political views. And here's what I'll say to that. Um, when you're talking about any sports league, that includes whatever your uh, your favorite college team is. If you're an Ole Miss fan, Mississippi State fan, whatever, uh, there are players on every single roster of every sport that you will ever watch that have political views that will probably really bother you or that you like. But... Especially athletes are extremely politically diverse, but it's that way in almost everything, right? I mean, music artists and movie stars, and I would encourage you moving forward 
to not worry about if somebody aligns with your political belief and just if they're good athletes and they entertain you and you like watching sports, good. Because the XFL is not going to be as good of a product as the NFL. there's, There's no chance, absolutely no chance. And the likelihood of those players sharing the same diversity of political beliefs that the NFL players have is 100% likely. And the NFL generally is very pro-America, very pro-military. You saw all the displays during the Super Bowl. They do that on purpose. They partner with uh, veteran charities and and all of that stuff. The NFL is very pro-America first. Don't confuse what like Colin Kaepernick did with the NFL's political views because those are two different things. The NBA is the same way. LeBron James got foot-in-mouth syndrome with how he handled the uh, the China thing. But the NBA did not punish a, a general manager who was outspoken in favor of the people in Hong Kong and them wanting democracy, costing the league hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. They didn't punish that man for it. Two very different people, two very different political beliefs. The uh, general manager of the Rockets has built a pretty interesting team. They're doing the small ball thing, and it's working, and they're, they've won four straight games, and they beat the Lakers the other night. And Quiet. <laughs> but, I mean, the Lakers are fine. Let's let's be honest here. And LeBron James, for 17 years, has been the class of the league, and he's entertaining, he, as entertaining as any basketball player maybe ever. He's six foot eight and 250 pounds, and he, he can shoot, and he can pass and run and do everything. So don't let what his political view may be stop you from enjoying the entertainment. Because if you only are entertained by people that align directly with your political beliefs, you're going to be in a miserable echo chamber, especially in sports. But that's just take one in man's there. opinion. But say you went on a roll there. I just I feel passionate about that. It's especially when it's in inter- the entertainment business. Hey, artists, music. I mean, my goodness, if I, if I really sat down and tried to uh, think about all the political beliefs of the, the musicians that I like and, and tried to eliminate the ones that I didn't agree with, my playlist would be really small. I believe yeah. that's called cancel culture. <laughs> this is funny here from the 662. Rob. Rob says Rippy would watch the XFL if Booger was doing color. That'd be a tough sell. If they made him do it in another language, I would think about it. Um, from the 615, poll question. I, I wouldn't address this usually, but I'm on one today. How many listeners think Richard missed on purpose today to keep from addressing the Doug Nikhazy issue? I vote yes. First of all, yes is not the answer to the question of how many <laughs> listeners. And two... <laughs> Uh, Richard filled in for JT today. So that's that's why he's not here. So enjoy your day, though. Surely that's like a joke, right? There's no way that you could actually think like Richard's going, Ugh, Mike didn't spin the Casey. I'm calling in sick. <laughs> he, he has had like, to show up for much worse days yeah. than that one. I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, if, 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 if JT again gets in trouble, I'm just taking off until, until it's over. Corey in Cleveland's going to be an XFL guy. His co-worker's son 
Uh, works for the Dallas Renegades. Yeah, I mean, look. That's cool. I, I was watching uh, Cole Kublik, friend of the show, on with SVP last night, and Cole mentioned a few things that I didn't know about the XFL, which may interest you. The first thing is the broadcast you will hear, and the AAF kind of did this, but they're taking it to another level. You will be able to hear the communication, the play calls, and coach to quarterback and coach to linebacker communication. So they'll have the speaker and the helmet, just like the NFL does. But And there's no 15-second limit. I don't know if you knew this. You can only talk uh, to the quarterback for 15 seconds, and it has to be before the snap. But in the XFL, the coach can be in his ear the entire play. So if a guy's coming around his blind side, the coach can go, throw it, throw it, throw it, throw it. And you'll be able to hear that on the broadcast. They, That's cool. The, the teams have given you full access to the play calling and the dialogue and everything on the broadcast. I find that fascinating. But if you're a quarterback, do you really want your coach in your year while you're trying to read progressions? That's interesting. There, there might be some times where you do, but I would imagine most of the time you do not. It'd be, it would be just like anything else. I'm sure you, Matt you know. Nagy's like, can I have some of that in my life? <laughs> <laughs> um. 150 bucks for a Roughnecks starter jacket, uh, if you want to buy one of those, according to one of I our don't. listeners. What are I season don't. tickets that these running for? That's a good question. That'd be uh, are the, where are the Roughnecks playing? Are they? They're, they're certainly not in Reliance Stadium. Where are they playing? They playing the Astrodome? Is that Houston? They're, they're playing yeah. where uh, the university plays. Okay, and they guess it's named Fertitta something. <laughs> right, here we go. As, as always, we have a device. That allows us to look at this. Oh, we did get some right. snow today. Uh, Roger and Renzi says he got a couple of inches. We get a picture here uh, in Corinth from we can the 662 get, of some snow. We can sit. Let me let me, let me look at this again here. Let me make sure that I'm right. All right, so we can sit in the absolute best seat in the house, the Tier 1 club-level seat for $450 for the season. How many games are they playing? Five. You get five games. So it's 90 bucks a ticket to sit in their club level. So it's a 10-game oh, season. club level, that's not bad. Yeah, it's a 10-game season. If, you, if you're not willing to spend a whole ton of money, uh, let me see here what the uh, the price is. The The lowest price, you can get their 20 bucks. And that's sitting. Now, I've been to Houston Stadium. Let me see if I can find the, uh, they had a, uh, the thing there. It's not a very as you might as you might imagine. It's not a very big stadium, so interesting. Yeah, it's it's. I have to check the. the, the <laughs> Get a text here uh, from the two five six that it's not much bigger than the Rock down in Hattiesburg. Okay. So. Somebody from the two five six says New England already has that for their opponent. Oh, man. Richard and Wiggins says, we still listen to y'all despite the birdie man. His sense of humor makes me forget. We discussed that this morning. Apparently, Borky, do you care to share what happened to you in the office the other day? Because this is Uh, getting out of control. (laughs) Somebody in the office said Somebody. What did they say? um, Pulled me aside. Somebody in sales pulled me aside and said, Michael. That Rippy's really not a communist, is he? (laughs) (laughs) And I laughed. I said, no, sir. And his response was, oh, well, good. You know, I was getting worried there for a second. (laughs) Next time Rippy talks, we play the Soviet national anthem over the top of that. That'd be fantastic. 
Yeah, anytime I walk through like the mothership office and then he just like like semblance of confidence these days, I'm gonna be actually be wondering what everyone else is thinking inside. <laughs> George in West Point says he stopped watching the NFL years before Kaepernick. SEC football just seemed a whole lot more interesting to him. But on the other hand, if there was an NFL franchise in Mississippi, who knows, I might be a fan. I George mean, and I might be doing similar things this this fall, depending on how this Saints you know, scandal turns out. You've uh, you've got one close enough by though. If you it, you have the regional uh, acceptance, if you want to adopt the Saints, and if they do clear this thing, because I wouldn't tell you to yeah, become a go. fan of of yeah, that. You go to the Titans; it's not that far away. It's it's closer to Nashville from West Point than it is. Uh, oh yeah, New true. Orleans. So George, yeah. you you've got two. Regional options, and they're both good ones as far as the quality of football. If you want to pick an NFL team, uh, the Titans are going to be really good again next year. And as long as Sean Payton's in New Orleans, they'll be good there too. So you're welcome. They pay the players like pros at Ole Miss, though. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chris and Starkville says, will the XFL have a censor? Because I'm sure you'll hear an F-bomb from the coach to the quarterback. six-second delay is going to be in full use. The Super Bowl had a 36-second delay. Glad to be sure. And yet still people wrote the columns, think of the children, after the halftime show. We'll be right back at Sports Talk Mississippi. Speaking of the NFL, a handful, more than a handful, of guys that played college ball right here in Mississippi got invitations to the NFL Combine. Mississippi State had the most. Brian Cole, the safety. Cam Dantzler. The cornerback, Willie Gay. The MMA... um, The linebacker. uh, Stephen Gidry, the wide receiver. Phillips, the offensive lineman. Rivers, the defensive lineman. Williams... The offensive linemen all invited to the Combine from Mississippi State. On the Ole Miss side, Josiah Coatney, the defensive lineman Benito Jones, the defensive lineman Phillips, the running back Shepard, the defensive lineman all invited to the Combine, and Quez Watkins from Southern Miss all headed to the Combine. So good group of guys, a big list from Mississippi State, and although, I mean, maybe there's an outside shot at like a, a Dantzler sneaking into the first round, um, the chance to have a bunch of guys get drafted in the middle to later rounds, though. Yeah, I would definitely think so. And I think the uh, I have to double check. I think Lance Zerline's last mock draft. I've seen a couple of mock drafts recently that have Dantzler towards the bottom of the first round. So I think you know opportunity for him there if he goes and has a good combine to, to put that in there. Willie Gay is a guy who I see as you know a, I don't know that he'll be a day two pick, but it could be an early pick on day three. He's just very talented. He's good. Darryl Williams. He's good enough. Daryl Williams is a guy you know. You know you can move him around on the interior of the line. Good guy. He'll interview well. Good leader. Uh, big strong guy. So that's not gonna be an issue. Uh, Chauncey Rivers is interesting to me. Uh, I think he's got some opportunities there, but I don't know. Brian Cole, you know, versatile player. Can play corner. Can play safety. And can help you in special teams. And then we got our old friend Stephen Gidry, who I, I don't know if I if you were on when I told this story or not, but when I was when I was at the Music City Bowl in the post game press conference. There was some guy there, and just from talking, hearing him talk, I, I think he covered NFL stuff. He was an NFL guy doing whatever. And he said, you know, if what you did before the catch and what you do after the catch got you drafted, I would take Stephen Gidry in the top ten. 
but he can't make the catch. Oh, no. He's like getting, he said getting in and out of his breaks, running routes, the guy's incredible. And then once he has the ball in his hands, he's a playmaker. He's elusive, fast. But he can't catch the ball. And, and is that so, something at this point you can teach? I know you can always get better hands, no but like after you're done with college, no like I have no idea. I mean, it's probably enough that somebody will give him a camp invite just to see if they can work it out, but I don't know. Tyree Phillips had a good senior bowl too. I, sh- I should mention him. He and he was solid all year long. You didn't hear a whole lot of of complaints about him. So state state's got an opportunity to get you know I, I would say. Dantzler's a potential first round, but definitely a day two guy for sure. And then everybody else is either going to be a day three or a free agent guy, but a chance to continue to put people in the league. Rippy, when I, I saw this list for Ole Miss, it was just another reminder that they've uh, got some work to do on the defensive line in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. And then aside from that, Scotty Phillips is an interesting one because I'm not sure if he gets drafted day three. But when he was healthy, he was a really good back, and I think he's got a chance to stick on an NFL roster if he could get healthy, whether that's undrafted for agent or not. But, like, you know, you didn't really see much of it past, I mean, really Vanderbilt game of 2018 is last, like is really kind of when the injuries started to pile up for him. But when he was healthy, he was really good. It'll be interesting to see uh, really beyond the draft, but, like, how, when he gets into camp and how he does. On the, uh, the sensor thing for the XFL, a uh, friend here from the 256 says they'll probably have a sponsor name instead of the standard beep to cover up the cuss words. Or just sponsor them in general. That F-bomb yeah, This was profanity brought to, you- brought to you by Budweiser. <laughs> the king of beers. You want to be have an innovative Budweiser. <laughs> you want to have an innovative football league. That's how you do it. It's all, it's all about branding and everything else. I, I do hope it works. I, I mean... Vince and these TV networks, it, they're not doing a secondary operation. The AAF, and it's not to any fault of their own, didn't have Fox and ABC and like frontline right. ESPN guys. Network, yeah. I mean, Tom Hart's calling games. Steve Levy's yeah. calling games. Yeah. They're, Joel Clad is doing games. Is for, he really? He's doing color. I think so, yeah. So they're, they're actually trying here. I just... Rook. Real quick, by the way, you want to know how you win national championships going back to the Combine? LSU, 16 invitees to the NFL Combine. So if they're starting 22, 16 NFL Combine invites. That's how you win national titles. More likely – oh, go ahead, Rippy. I was just going to say, I saw all nine of the LSU players that went out early, like underclassmen, all got invites too. Every single one. Yeah. More likely next year, 8-4 and or 10-2 and for LSU. They have Texas at home. They still have to play Florida. I don't know who their other East team is off the top of my head. They probably lose to Bama. They're more likely. I believe they play South Carolina next year. Okay, they'll win that. So ten and two. I'll go eight and four. They have South Carolina at home. They are at Auburn, at A and M, at Florida. Have. Alabama at home and Texas at home. Those are their most difficult games. I think they'll lose to Alabama and Florida. We'll turn the page. Go ahead. I'm going to say I'll change my mind at some point, but you know. We got a long time for that. Hoops coming up this weekend. We'll tell you what you need to know coming up. Sports Talk Mississippi. Running Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott, Rippy with you. And 
Twitter's no longer down, so finally got the poll up. How interested are you in the XFL starting this weekend? Very, will watch, kinda, might watch, or not at all. So if you follow us on Twitter, you can vote for it there. Probably throw up a couple more uh, as we go throughout the show this afternoon. But it is good to be with you, and let's start with uh, this hour with hoops. So I know we got baseball next weekend. We'll get lineup projections coming up later on in the show as well. But right now, we are still in basketball season and we'll start with Mississippi State, a game, hey, Dad, that I don't think you can call a, a must-win, or I don't even know if there's a difference between these two things. A must-win or a probably-shouldn't-lose type of game. I would say that for State, they every game they play that they're favored in is a must-win because that's the games they have to win right now. You, know, you look at their schedule coming up, and the only games where you, you would say, okay, they're probably going to be an underdog is that trip to Arkansas. Every other game in there, they're, they're, they should be, you know. Then they they still have to play Alabama. They do have to play South Carolina. They'll, I think they go to Texas A and M. They got to go to Ole Miss, obviously. So there's some games they they might not win, but State needs to win these games where they're the favorite, and especially a game like this where you're going to be a double digit favorite uh, when it comes. Now I know Vanderbilt's the hottest team in the league right now. I mean, they just knocked off the, the first place team. They haven't lost since their last game. But that said, this team has state. State is not in a position to give away games. They need. They really need to, to put some 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 spread in their in their win loss margin. They're fourteen and uh, and eight right now. They need to be. They need to be better. I guess we'll put it that fourteen and seven. I'm sorry, but they need to be better. They need to, to they need to find a way to reel off you know three four wins in a row to get to seventeen eighteen and seven, and then you start having some comfort and you can start talking about seeding as opposed to just being on the bubble. The uh, the Update today from Joe Lenardi had State as an 11 seed and in the play-in game, so headed to Dayton for the first four. Uh, State would obviously like to avoid that if possible. So, you know, beating a team like Vanderbilt convincingly, that's what they need to do. So, I, I get what you're saying with the, with the terminology, but and I, I don't I don't like saying it's a must-win game because must-win games tend to I, I'd say they should have consequences. If you, if you lost, what was the consequence? There's not really one. But it would be a definite big black mark on the resume should they lose this game to Vanderbilt. I had no idea how easy the back end of this schedule was. I mean, they yeah. sit at 5-4 and four right now, and, uh, I mean, with nine games left, it's very possible that five turns into 12. Yeah, we were talking about this on the Thunder and Lightning podcast that Twelve and six is a real possibility for Mississippi State that they they might lose at Arkansas and then drop another one somewhere. But then the rest of those games they should be favored to win and they should be a big favorite to win. To be honest, so Vanderbilt at home they go to Ole Miss and Ole Miss is better than the record reflects, but they've their record is what it is for a reason. Uh, that Arkansas right. game is hey Dad mentioned is tough, but then you come home to host South Carolina, then you go to A and M, and yeah, they're playing a little bit better, but you are a better basketball team than them, and you have Alabama at home, and you go to Missouri in front of seven hundred and fifty people, mostly the girlfriends of the players, and like some faculty members who get a little bonus if they go to sporting events. Uh, <laughs> they go to South Carolina. <laughs> Uh, and then host Ole Miss. That is a, as easy of a back yeah. end of your SEC schedule when you're playing for an NCAA tournament bid as you can ask for. Now on the no other Auburn, side, no there's, LSU, no, no Kentucky, no Florida. Yeah, you can't ask for much more than that. There's no opportunities to get like a big win, but they don't really need it. Be- they don't. They don't. They, they just need to. If they win those games, if they were to, like I said, if they finish 12 and six, they will be in the NCAA tournament comfortably as probably a five or a six seed. Maybe maybe as low as a seven, but 
they're in at that point, and that's all that matters. I, I wasn't here. I did get to catch the second half of the game. What was your reaction to uh, the Kentucky game the other night? Did that? Um, what did that do to the fans? Is there going to be a big crowd uh, in the hump tomorrow night? I'm interested to see the crowd because they announced uh, today that this is they are officially welcoming back the Sweet 16 and Final Four teams from 94, 95, 95, 96. And from what I've been told, there's there's pretty much a lot of participation. So they're going to see a lot of uh, Bulldog legends there this weekend. So that'll that'll bring people in. I think. I think the crowd will be fine. I think people are, are they're not. I wouldn't say they're back on board. I'm not expecting a packed house or anything. But what would a what I could come on the show and call a respectable crowd? Yeah, I, I think we'll see that in Starville this weekend. It's a good weekend for basketball up here. You got that, and then you got on on Sunday uh, at noon, State versus Texas A and M, a uh, top twenty five matchup. Yeah, real quick on that. Last night went to Tennessee and got a win. Yeah, yeah, and they uh, they dominated that game for, after the first quarter. Sort of a, been a running theme this year for for the, for the ladies. They they've had some slow starts, but then they they really crank it up. They gave up twenty one points in the first quarter, and then only gave up thirty four the rest of the way. Um, and you know, did it with Jessica Carter being in foul trouble. They had to get some minutes from Yamaya Morris and Promise Taylor. Rakia Jackson continues to play well. Jordan Danbury was a force defensively. They're just playing well. I, the one thing I asked Vic Schaefer about it at availability today, and I asked Jordan Danbury as well because she's the only senior on this team, are you surprised at how well this young team plays on the road? And, and Vic was just like, honestly, yeah, I really am. Because you know they, they, they were in the game until the last second at South Carolina. They lost by two. Um they were in the when they went out to the West Coast to play Stanford. They they lost by three. They've won at Georgia. They've won at Missouri. They've won at uh, now at uh, at Tennessee. For a team loaded with freshmen and and a few sophomores, they are not afraid to go on the road and play on on, on a, in front of a hostile crowd. And that's going to be a good thing for MSU come the postseason, obviously. Uh, flipping over to Oxford uh, afternoon game, Rippy. So you won't be able to to catch the start of the XFL. I know you're bummed out about that. Uh, Florida coming into Oxford. What do you see here? Just if Ole Miss can put back-to-back games together and 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 finish it out, I guess. I think they can beat Florida at home. I'm not sure they will, but it'll be interesting to see if Blake Henson kind of continues on, I guess, rounding into form. Sounds weird, but the guy we talked to today that didn't really have much of an offseason at all, uh, given what he dealt with leading up. Uh, with the uh, blood disorder and all of that, and just to see if they can continue to kind of play well offensively around Tyree. But, um, you know, Ole Miss has a long way to go to get back into any sort of, like, postseason conversation, all talking about NIT, whatever. But, you know, played pretty well against a pretty good South Carolina team on Wednesday and see if they can duplicate it with the second consecutive solid performance because they've kind of been known after they play well at least for stretches of a game or finish off a game to kind of lay an egg the next one. Uh, refresh my memory. They played Florida in Gainesville earlier this season, and that was the night that they had no Hadim C because of a, uh, a suspension of some kind. And Tyree was hurt, right? Correct. They didn't have either of them for those games. And so, Blake Henson and K.J. Buffett played pretty well in that game, but they they made shots for about the first 15, 17 minutes and stayed in, and after that they didn't really have much of a chance. So no, not a whole lot we can draw from that game is what you're saying. Not really. I mean, Blake Henson played pretty well in that game, and so it is the same team, whatever you make of that. But outside of that, no. Around the SEC this weekend, again, pretty good slate of games right before baseball season. And that's coming up next, by the way. So give us, oh, 
about six minutes from right now, we will look at uh, these two guys have lineup projections for Ole Miss and for Mississippi State. Uh, just one week away uh, from first pitch. And um, awesome start to the baseball season with Louisville going to Oxford this weekend and Oregon State and Starkville next weekend. That's just awesome. But looking at the basketball slate, if you want to wake up early and watch a good game, LSU goes to Auburn. Uh, that's at 11 a.m. on ESPN. You have Kentucky in Knoxville, Texas A&M at South Carolina. That's another one of those uh, friends and family games only. Arkansas at Missouri, Alabama at Georgia, and of course the two games we just talked about here, Florida at Ole Miss and Vanderbilt at Mississippi State. What kind of a crowd do you expect in, in Oxford, Rippy? Uh, probably a big one coming to the hump, but different story up there, I imagine. Yeah, I don't. I, honestly, I have no earthly idea. It might be all right. It's a Saturday game. It's one o'clock. Uh, if it's the not, meet I guess the they baseball would team game day two. I think right. Sure, and they got baby racing as well. But outside of that, I would have no way to gauge the crowd. Maybe okay weekend game. Um, complete, just off the rails here. But this just popped up. A uh, friend of the show, Joel Coleman. Uh, hey, Dad, help me out with this, Brandon Ruiz. Uh, yeah. What is going on here? Um, so, he's a kicker that signed with two schools? No, nah, he's a grad transfer kicker, so he okay. hasn't signed the letter of intent. He doesn't have to. He can sign financial aid paperwork. He, he uh, was announced under Moorhead, but if you've noticed that State uh, brought in two preferred walk-on kickers uh, in the signing period. So State had right now, if, if Ruiz comes in, they would have five kickers going through spring. Uh, so maybe he's just sort of getting ahead of the curve here. Uh, has put in his paperwork at UL. Also, you know, he co- uh, Billy Napier coached him at Arizona State. So there's a relationship there. It's going to be one of those things we're just going to see where he ends up enrolling. Until he enrolls, nothing he does binds him to a school. Okay. Can't so. ever have too much kicker depth. After last year at Mississippi State with the special teams, man, they could have 20 kickers, and that might not be enough. They need to find something. What is it about Ole Miss and State last year that were so bad in the kicking game? Well, How long do you both- have? <laughs> I'm about to say, we, we, that could be the whole show. We could do a long form. We will talk baseball next, just seven days away from first pitch. It's Sports Talk Mississippi. Don't go anywhere. Coming up on Monday's show, if you're a Southern Miss fan out there, you don't want to miss it, we will do the same thing of a full season preview, lineup projections, all that good stuff. Uh, talking Southern Miss baseball. That's coming up. On Monday's show, we'll have a good guest for you and do a whole breakdown there. Really looking forward to continuing our coverage like we do every year with Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Southern Miss baseball. Unique state here. I was uh, back in South Carolina visiting family earlier this week. and I mean, if you look at that state with how good, usually how good those two programs are, and they're on the higher level of attendance. I mean, Clemson's got a nice-looking facility. People show up. South Carolina, obviously, you guys know, have, have a nice facility. People show up. I think they expanded their video board or something this offseason. But it's still different. I mean, they've got programs there that play good baseball and, and really care, and it's just not the same there as it is here. And uh, looking forward to starting that, uh, that roundtable coverage that we do every year, uh, starting with Southern Miss on Monday. But right now, we'll look at Mississippi State, and uh, hey, Dad, I, I can't imagine this is really difficult for you. It's more of an experiment for the Ole Miss side, since they have so much unknown, but by and large, Mississippi State seems to have uh, a pretty set-in-stone 
uh, lineup. Maybe not so much the order, but seems like there's not a whole lot of uncertainty for this team. I, I can say with pretty good certainty who six of the uh, position players are going to be. So who uh, who would those be? All right. Well, you got your you know your starting your your starting five in terms of your your batting order. I don't know the order they're going to be in, but they were all named the first or second team All SEC uh, yesterday. Rowdy Jordan is all likelihood going to be the leader leadoff hitter and and play center field. Would be really surprised. You know, he's going to slide into the role that has been so ably handled by Jake Mangum the past four years. Um, but he'll 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 be that guy uh, at shortstop. Will be Jordan Westberg. No question about that. One of the top hitters in the SEC a season ago. He and from all indications, is, is looking to take a big step forward. Had a, had a huge summer. Uh, Justin Foscue, guy who's been a preseason All-American on some lists at second base. Tanner Allen moves from first base into the outfield. I think he's going to right field uh, where he'll he'll play out there. And then at first base, Josh Hatcher. Basically, these two guys swap positions. Hatcher was playing right last year uh, when Elijah McNamee got hurt. But Hatcher will be at first base now. I feel pretty confident that uh, behind the plate is going to be uh, the sophomore Luke Hancock from Houston, Mississippi, who was really good a season ago. Uh, you know, and, and obviously played spot duty because Dustin Skelton was so good for Mississippi State last year. And then at third, right now I would think Landon Jordan has the inside track. Although uh, one true freshman, uh, Cameron, uh, where did he go? Cameron, I'm sorry, yeah, Cameron James uh, is giving him a, a push there. But I, I would not be surprised to see Landon Jordan start the season there. Then in the outfield, a name that's uh, been said a lot by Chris Lamonis has been Bryce Brock, who's a uh, sophomore out of. Uh, Lewisburg High School up there in Hernando, Mississippi. If it's not him, it's probably going to be the JUCO transfer, Brandon Pimentel. And if Brandon Pimentel is not the left fielder, I think he'll be the uh, the DH. That's probably that's my probable MSU starting lineup with a starting rotation of JT Ginn, Christian McLeod, and Eric Sarantola getting the, the the work the first weekend at least. I know, and as you mentioned, some of these guys played limited action last year just because. But these returning batting orders, or excuse me batting numbers from last year. And I know average doesn't tell the entire story, of course, but uh, like Luke Hancock, 326 average. Hatcher, 321. Foscue, 331. Jordan, 328. Westberg, 294. Cumbus, 286. Jordan, 290. The other Jordan, Rowdy. The first one was Landon. Tanner Allen, 349. I mean, even if (laughs) the guys that played limited action last year were still just mashing the baseball. Uh, and Westberg is the one that, that stands out to me because there was a time where he was hitting almost 400, went through a really bad slump towards the end of the season. And unlike Mangum, who also went through a slump, he never really shook it off and, and went through the College World Series sort of in that same situation. But, and you know, I, you never know what's going to happen in summer league, but there, there's been a lot of talk that he tweaked his swing a little bit, worked on his mechanics a little bit, and figured some things out and was absolutely mashing the ball up there in the uh, the Cape. So they're expecting him to have a, a the kind of season he was having, like maybe you know three months in where he was hitting three eighty and just mashing the ball. Now they expect that kind of season the whole year long from Jordan Westbrook. We do get a, a reminder on the text line. Those are uh, not the only three schools that play baseball here in the state. We have a Millsaps fan uh, that texts in says go Major starting the season today. Delta State's already played uh, three games and uh, actually run ruled east central uh, last saturday so they played a double header and uh, are two and one so far on the season uh, a lot of good baseball in the state doesn't just uh, reside in the division one level so thanks uh, for that reminder and uh, yeah go majors um to be honest with you i can't pronounce the team they're playing today it's lee torino 
Oh, we'll Letourneau. go with that. Letourneau. Letourneau. There we go. Thank you. Letourneau. Um, so hopefully they get a win there. Rippy, a, uh, a much different story in Oxford as far as the projected lineup goes. You gave me one of the podcasts this morning, but let's bring it here. Um, subject to change, obviously, and as you mentioned, um, it'll change based on who's pitching sometimes and what arm they throw with. But if you had to project to the listeners right now who they're going to see, what would it be? Uh, Keenan at third. Anthony Servideo moved to short to take the place of Gray Kessinger. Uh, Servideo would be a in- really interesting pro prospect if he proves that he can hit consistently. I think Justin Bench will start out at second. There's probably a chance he could go to the outfield, but I think preferably they'd keep him at second. Tim Elko, which is kind of make or break time for him. He's been a good practice BP guy with a ton of power, but he's got a hit and he'll be at first base. Hayden Dunhurst likely the opening day catcher, uh, which is interesting because Ole Miss is uh, as Mike Bianco described it, kind of hard on catchers, but uh, we'll now have back-to-back guys start opening day as freshmen in terms of like Cooper Johnson did it as a freshman, and it appears Dunhurst will probably do the same. Outfield, your guess is as good as mine, but I'm going to take the best one I possibly can. Peyton Chatagnier of left-handed bat uh, had a pretty good fall probably in one of the corner outfield spots. I'll say left field for the corner, I, for the sake of the exercise. Center field is interesting. I they like Cade Salmon. They like you know Jarrah and Ely. I think has as good a shot of anybody. I really I couldn't tell you at this point who it would be. I I'll guess Salmon. Pretty good runner, elite defender. Hits okay to the gaps, but like I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine there. And then in right field, I would bet they make room for one of these bats. And depending, I mean, if Louisville, I think Louisville throws a left hander uh, as their Friday night guy. So this could. Very much change off of that, but I will go uh, Leatherwood based off of that for right now. But and Kevin Graham at DH, but corner outfield spots in particular and DH will probably move around a lot for the first six weeks. Uh, we called this this morning, and it, I'm not making fun of you, uh, the guy that texted in, because this is, I mean, this is the story, and this is what you want to know. It's just funny that this is going to be the conversation with this baseball team about two guys that may not even play. All that often in one case, and maybe hardly at all in another case. But of course, the football players, everybody wants to know. So we get the question here Could Ely end up as a starter? And what role do you expect John Rice Plumley to play this season, if any? Yes, I think Ely has a chance to lock down center field. Again, a chance. I don't Does know. Does he how hit well is. enough, do you think? I mean, that, that really remains to be seen. I don't think there's any way to accurately guess that until you can actually see it against live pitching. And, well, project. You know, somebody they should let bunt. They should let that guy bunt <laughs> because he'll get on the ba- he'll get on base. And then, as far as Plumley, I really don't know. I would bet on Ely probably having a bitter, bigger role than Plumley. I'm not exactly sure what Plumley is. Uh, could they use a pinch runner, you know, utility guy possibly? But it's 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 really hard to say at this point. On that note, um, it was talked about in the signing day press conference about uh, the potential of. The, the quarterback of these two not having a big role in what that could mean for how they handle the two-sport thing. What did you hear, and, and what does it mean? No, I mean, he just said that they're going to go to baseball and be baseball players full-time while they're over there, and in whatever leftover time they have, they'll work in some football. But then if neither one, or, it depends on how big of a role they're playing. If they have a smaller role to none at all in baseball, then they'll start doing more football. But if they play a bigger role in baseball, then they'll continue to do that. Really kind of as simple as that. Pretty cut and dry, I would assume. It just I wonder, 
you know, them being so young, if, let's say, Plumlee doesn't have a role on this team and he's poised to have one next year, like, would they still pull him, not pull him out of baseball, but uh, divvy it up even though not having a role would mean that he needs some development and that would just... I don't know. It's a, an interesting balance that they've got to have with him in particular because Ely can step away from football. He's a running back. That's something that you can pick up. But if you're going to be a quarterback in the SEC, then you've got to spend time and focus on that. But also you want to be a baseball player. But then maybe you're not stepping into a role right away. And it's just a balance that they've got to figure out. And it'll be tough on them. Yeah, I mean, we'll be interesting to watch play out. No way to really know until the season gets going. And maybe not even until deep into it. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. That's the number. You want to be a part of the conversation, you can do just that on the C Spire text line. We'd love to hear from you on this Friday afternoon. 601-879-4395. And as a reminder, all guests appear via the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. Headline. Pizza sent a record number of Americans to the emergency room in 2018. The number of hospitalizations, according to a recent study in the United States involving pizza, rocketed by more than 50% in 2018 over 2017. Now, it varies whether it was caused by falling upstairs while carrying a delivery or someone cutting a finger with a pizza cutter. There were no fewer than 3,800 visits to the emergency room two years ago related to pizza. That figure compares to the 2,300 in 2017. That is, uh, according to Babylon Health, in honor of National Pizza Day, which is Sunday February 9th. That is the highest number of injuries in history and related to pizza. Never had to go to the hospital because of pizza. Burned myself a couple times. Slipped and fell on a wet floor maybe once or twice. That's about it. Pizza will kill me just slower than these people, apparently. Yeah. yeah. That's a rough way to go. I have never... Have you ever done pizza on a smoker? Uh, not on a smoker. I've had grilled pizza before. Is it good? I, I kind of want to oh, try it. Oh, it's fantastic. It. Yeah, it's fantastic. You get a nice char on the crust. It's crispy. Yeah. It's molten hot, though. You got to let that. <laughs> oh, man. I've been wanting to try it, Rippy. I've, like I said, I've got a bunch of free time uh, coming my way here on Sunday. And uh, I've got a smoker. And I've got like that plate that you can cook the pizza on. But yeah. for some reason, that flavor in pizza—I don't know. It just—I gotta just go ahead and do it. Have you? If you ever yeah, tried it, tell try me what it you think. And, yeah, I got a friend uh, who lives. He actually lives down in the Keys. Talk about living the life. And he just installed a pizza oven in his backyard. One of those you, you wood-fired pizza ovens. And he's on Facebook all the time, putting pictures up of of his pizzas, and they look incredible. See, I gotta try that. That requires a lot of effort, though. Got to make the dough too. You can't 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 you know half uh half do that. Somebody from the 256 says, I built a brick oven in my backyard, and after you make a homemade pizza in one of those, you won't want to have it any other way. One thing you can do, and I don't know if they'll do this. I used to do it back in the day. Just go to, like, one of your local pizza places that 
and, and ask if you can buy some dough if you don't want to make it. But you also don't want to buy just like the the thing they have at the grocery store. Just go buy a dough ball. Normally they'll sell it to you. They'll sell it bucks. to you? For a couple bucks usually, yeah. Really? Yeah. They should anyway. I used to. Is that like an inside the industry secret? I, that's, I'm giving you a little trade secret Wait, You there. used to do that. That kind of sounds like you were bootlegging pizza dough. Well, I mean, it, it didn't happen every day, but occasionally <laughs> a guy would come in and be like, hey, do you mind, can you sell me some dough? And I'd be like, yeah, sure, it's two bucks. I've got a Was neighbor. that authorized? Well, I was the GM, brother, so I authorized it. Fair enough. Yeah. I've got a neighbor that always has random cars parked out in front of the house, and neighbor will go in, and then they'll this talk. This one stalks and, you? Uh, no, not that one. Um, and then the neighbor will get out of the car and go back inside. Maybe they were just dealing pizza dough. Green pizza dough. The oregano yeah. that goes on the pizza, you know. You, you, you said that. That's funny. Green dough is actually a, a real term. Is it like expired or something? No, it's it's the opposite. It's It just came off the truck and hasn't proofed. It's incredibly difficult to work with. You don't want any part of it. <laughs> Man, I'm learning something new every day. Uh, that pizza's killing people. Well, not really. Those are, are just ER visits. Um... Philip and Corn says you can do the same bootleg move with chicken feet. What would you want that for? With chicken feet? Did, surely he meant fingers, man. Come on. I'm genuinely curious. What do you use chicken feet for? People use them in uh, in soups and stews, and they add flavor. Okay. You know, nobody's eating what? them, I don't think. Yeah. Why would you want feet in your stew? Well, it makes like a chicken stock, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, homemade broth, Philip says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you use your own feet? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh. it's boiling water, Rippy. You'll hurt yourself. Grilled deer meat on pizza. That sounds tough, sure. doesn't it? Sure. That sounds, no, sounds delicious. You just got to cook it just the exact right way, though. Well, yeah, well that's true about anything, though. It's, you know. Good. Uh, good point. Ken and Jackson agrees green dough is a pain to work with. Way to go, Ken. Somebody My from the 662 says there. he thought it was cash. That's what green dough was. It could be the same thing, yeah. When did that become yeah. a thing, calling cash dough? Like, that's the worst possible nickname for it. It's been, it's been called that for years. Or maybe you were just hiding cash or substances in the dough you were selling to people, you bootlegger. <laughs> It's all part of the plan. Oh, man. Good to be with you. Mike I and I never sold anything else over the counter there. Nothing else coming to mind. I did I did dare a guy to take a shot of garlic butter one time, and I, I told him I'd give him a free pizza if he did it, and he did it. Did you ever get offered anything at the door? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what is the strangest door opening you ever had? Nudity. We've been over this, haven't we? The yeah, we talked guy. about this once before. Yeah, it was a nude dude. Man, I must have not been here that day. He kept Lucky saying, I wish I, had, I, wish I hadn't been there out. that day. Did you catch yourself just like like looking down once to make sure that this guy was standing in the was door like, naked? I, I, well, I mean, you open the door and like you just take it all in. You're like, oh. oh. And then it was just like, it was like being at the urinal, like eyes at attention. Like, how are you doing, sir? We were locked eyes. Did he invite you in? Did he go in? for like a handshake? How do you do, like, was he casual? No, 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 none of that. Just, just, here's the box. Thanks for the money. Where did Have the tip money day. come from? I didn't ask. I didn't well, ask. Was the money dry? As I recall, it was, it was not, 
<laughs> moist. Yes. What did it smell like? <laughs> I, I, I didn't go that far with it. It has moved on with my uh, life. Some people do eat chicken feet. Not me, but I have heard of it. Well, I'm sure that's the case. Yeah, I mean, there are people who eat, eat animals from the rooter to the tutor. Well, that's why the coronavirus is going around, because people yeah, eat true. all kinds of animals, apparently. King Biscuit says, I have grilled pizza when the power's been out. He says it's pretty good. It's great, yeah. Richard Wiggins says, because it rhymes with bro. I've got your dough, bro. Andy says, many people, uh, mostly other cultures, eat the chicken feet. Some buy the soft paw on the bottom of the foot. Wow. Dough was once currency. Thanks, Vance and Tupelo. Now I feel like an idiot. I probably should have known that somewhere along the way. Paying attention in school wasn't my strong suit. Yeah. Look where it got you, though. You're in the big chair. <laughs> yeah, for uh, for now. I did get, not in trouble, but like during a parent-teacher conference. My, my dad and I grew up going to Furman games just because it was five bucks for a ticket to watch decent football, and they were always early so you could get back home and watch all the good games later. And... And our desk, I don't know about you guys, our desks were like desks slash like cubbies. Like they had like the hard top and then there was a big, underneath it, the entire desk was like a place where you could put your stuff. And everybody yeah. had their own desk. So we didn't have cubbies, we had desks with just a hole yeah. inside. Yeah, I, I had that, yeah. I spent one day in class covering the entire thing writing F.U. Furman University when I was a kid. That's not good. And my parents got called in for a parent-teacher conference. They had to like answer questions about language in our household because I was writing "fu" on my desk. You can buy dough at Nukes. A buddy of mine just told me. There you go. There are some grocery stores that sell like pizza dough. Now I'm not talking about like the pre-made, like you buy where the tortillas are, like just actual pizza dough. Like I mean, I imagine there's a Whole Foods in Jackson, right? Yeah, there is. They would probably have it. Tim and Corn says in Louisiana, chicken feet, necks, and backs are all eaten. Josh says what chicken we have. Ba- learned- I've eaten chicken backs before, yeah. <laughs> Josh at Tupelo says what we've learned today is Hey Dad runs an underground pizza smuggling ring. I used to. Got a lot of MSU apparel through pizza, a few beers here and there. Mike in Oxford says, just leaving the Ole Miss inner squad, Kale Baker hit one into the parking lot beyond left field on the fly. That's a pretty big moonshot. That is. And to navigate it around the scoreboard, pretty hard, too. From the 662, I've cooked pizza on the big green egg. It's great. That is my plan on Sunday, my friend. If you have a recipe or, or a process, I would love to hear it. Send it to me. According to Marshawn Lynch, somebody says chicken is money. It's true. Yeah, uh, somebody here from the 601 buys their own dough. That I did not know you could do that. I, I don't cook much, but... Philip and Corinth says, man, I just tuned in 20 minutes ago, and this segment sounds like a Mike Leach press conference. I'm loving it. <laughs> we'll get Think back about to... pizza is... No, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get back to sports next at Sports Talk Mississippi. Stick around.
years ago on this day, it sounded a little bit like this. Manning in the shotgun puts Collie in motion. Looks in his direction. It's picked <laughs> off! It's picked off! It's Tracy Porter again! He's running free! He's going to go all the way! Hand outstretched! It is a safe touchdown! 70 yards on the return! 70 yards on the return by Porter! He did it to Favre, and now he's done it to Manning! I'm going to tell you what, Tracy Porter knew that route was coming and jumped it, and Peyton Manning threw it right to him. He was the only guy left out there to tackle Tracy Porter. Porter ducks to the inside. Got that big break when you needed it. Gosh, Almighty, how fortunate are the Saints to come up with those huge plays whenever they need it. We said that the Colts were a team that don't turn over the ball in crucial situations, but every now and then things like that will happen. Jumped in front of Reggie Wayne, took the ball, and took it 70 yards for the score. Wow! With 3.12 to play, Garrett Hartley adds the extra point, and the Saints increase their lead. Tracy Porter, Grand Larceny indeed. The Saints, three minutes and 12 seconds away from a Super Bowl championship. On this day in 2010, uh, in Miami, the New Orleans Saints won the Super Bowl as a five-point underdog. They beat Peyton Manning and the Colts 31-17. Carrie Underwood sang the national anthem. The Who did the halftime show. Far less cleavage back then (laughs) than what we just saw. 106.5 million people in the United States watched that game with another 50 million worldwide. New Orleans, by the way, for whatever it's worth to you, did an 82 share, which means 82% of the televisions in the New Orleans metro area that were on that day watched the Super Bowl. I know it's a football town, but that is unfathomable to me. So, hey, Dad, I imagine one of the best days of your life right there. Yeah, let's give credit where credit's due to that call. The legendary Jim Henderson and Hokey Guy John on the Saints Radio Network down there at WWL. Uh, yeah, fantastic. A day I never thought I would see happen. I, I honestly you know, I honestly never believed the Saints would win a Super Bowl. Even... When they when they were in the Super Bowl, I was like, "Well, they're not. It's it's Peyton Manning. They're not. Gonna, they're probably not going to beat him." And uh, you know, again, going back to the pizza thing, I got home at halftime because, as you can imagine, that was a busy day. Uh, I got home just in time to see Pierre Thomas score. I missed ambush. I was in the car, and somehow, even in Starkville, you can pick up the New Orleans AM feed on a clear night. So I got to listen to Henderson and 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 guys out on the on the drive home, and. Uh, Walked in as Pierre Thomas was scoring and just sort of sat there. And, yeah, yeah, heck of a day. Ran outside to yell. I didn't want to wake up any children when it was over. You'll, you'll learn Greg that. Greg Williams that. gave the biggest bonus to that night. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i fight you is what I'll do, Rippy. I'm gonna, he's going to give me a bonus because I'm, I'm going to come kill the head, Rippy. I'll see you Tuesday. I mean, I'm just curious. Yeah, are you? Anyway, I don't know. Probably uh, Will Smith had a good shot in on, uh, on, uh, on uh, Peyton in that game. So, yeah, good day. Must have a Colts fan here. Matt in Gulfport says, why did you have to remind me? Worst day of my life. I have a friend who's a Colts fan, and I texted her their happy anniversary this morning. She was like, what? And I sent her a screenshot of the Saints tweet. And she was like, she said something back to me that I can't repeat on the air. And uh, <laughs> sort of went from there. Somebody in the 256 says, I got to watch that game at basic training on our last week before graduation, and he was the only Saints fan. God, I bet that felt good. But that felt really good. Thank you, uh, of course, 
for your service. Richard and Wiggins wants to know if you remember the menu that night. Hey, Dad. The menu for what? Your, uh, I guess he thinks you had a Super Bowl party? I, why would I have a Super Bowl party? I missed the first half of the game. I was at work. What were you doing during the first half? I mean, could you sit down? Uh, here, no. So here, we're, we're going to go back into Brian, the pizza guy. That's fine. The year before for the Super Bowl, we were really slow for some reason. Really slow. Like, unusually slow. So remembering that, I was like, okay, well, I won't schedule as many people this year. And what a terrible mistake that was. It is literally the busiest I've ever been <laughs> at work in my life. The phone started ringing at about 1.30, and it did, the Super Bowl is always the same there. It's At halftime, it slows down. But until halftime, you're just getting murdered. And I'm telling you, people are telling people on the phone, I don't know. How long is the pizza? I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to take to get to you. It's just going to get there when it gets there. People were coming in. I had a lobby about 40 people deep. And they were just looking at me. I'm like, I'm going as fast as I can. I found out that another restaurant had the same situation. They were a little understaffed. They were getting killed. And in the middle of it, they had an 80 pizza order drop on them. In the middle of it. Oh, they no. didn't do any prep for it. They just had to make it on the fly. So it was awful, but at least the time went quickly because I had I couldn't breathe. I was just like, just keep working, just keep working, just keep working. And then finally the halftime came, and it slowed down, and I went home. And like I said, I got home in time to watch uh second half. Keith Invaden sends us a picture of a Saints World Champions ring. Keith, where did you get that? I would love to hear the story behind that. Tim in Corinth says, the only time I ever told my mom to shut up and got away with it was that night. You're a lucky man. Be careful. Woo. Our Mississippi Army National Guard was deployed to Iraq during the Saints and Colts Super Bowl. We watched it and remember it well. That's from Casey. Five o'clock hour coming up. We'll start with the college football fix. That's next. Don't go anywhere. Clock hour off and running sports talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian, hey that Brian Scott Rippy with you. A few of your texts before we get into the college football fix. I will tease it though. I'm a pro. I guess it's what we do. Almost didn't close signing day particularly well, and some folks say it's a transition class and nothing to worry about. Others say it was a disaster. But we'll talk to the rational guys over here. Hey that and Rippy and get their take on if it means anything. Are you surprised by it? Uh, Should Ole Miss fans be concerned or not worried at all? What was your reaction to the few swings and misses on signing day for Ole Miss on Wednesday? But first, a few good texts here. We'll get to those right now. Keith and Vaden, by the way, for just joining us, sent us a picture of a Saints Super Bowl ring. Today is the 10-year anniversary of that victory, and he was the water boy. That is awesome. So that is your ring. Like, that's not one that you got to take a picture of. You own it. That is awesome. I'm jealous. And don't... He uh, he downplays the, the water boy thing. Don't do that, man. That's really cool. Like, I would do that to this day. It's clean. It's cold. That's what I call high-quality H2O. Here's a question. From the 662, do you know if the SEC can force schools to upgrade their facilities? I don't know the motivation behind this question, um, but interesting nonetheless. Do you guys know the answer to that? 
They can't force schools to spend their money. No. I wouldn't think. Unless there was like a situation where like public safety was endangered. You know, if, if, if somebody's stadium is like, you know, there's open wiring and stuff, the SEC could maybe step in at that point. But as far as like, hey, your stadium's not as good as Alabama's, fix it. No, they can't make you do that. Yeah, if that was the case, Vanderbilt would have a much different looking football facility. However, at some point, I mean, once this dollar amount upgrades uh, from the forty-seven million that the schools got this year to the sixty-ish million that they're going to get after the TV deal, um, you don't really have a choice but to upgrade your facilities because we're in order to remain a nonprofit, you you have to spend that money somewhere. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. $60 million a year. Jeez Louise. I can't wait to see how that, that turns out. This is just a great text from the 256. If it wasn't for the water boy, the mud dogs wouldn't have won the bourbon bowl. Last game of the year. They couldn't hold anything back. <laughs> All right, let's talk uh, this recruiting deal. I, I was going back and forth uh, texting a buddy of mine last night who was expressing concern, so I figured I'd bring it to the radio show. Ole Miss clearly, they didn't close well on signing day. There were multiple prospects that they they had visit late in the process. They're in on that had their hat at the proverbial table, so to speak, and ended up choosing to go elsewhere. So is it just a transition class and fans have nothing to worry about? Is it a disaster and um, you should be really concerned somewhere in the middle? What was your takeaway? We'll start with you, Hey Dad, and then go to Rippy of the way Ole Miss closed or didn't close this week on signing day? I think that you know, some of what they're saying about it being you know, uh, the plan and being tactical, it, it's, it, it's, sort of double, uh, it's sort of double-sided in that if they could have gotten better players, they would. It's not a question of we just wanted to save some scholarship. If there were three or four four-star kids that wanted to commit to Ole Miss, they would have taken them. There's no question about that. The thing that stands out to me is this, that Ole Miss is just coming off of two years of being under NCAA probation with scholarship reductions, and they signed far more kids under reductions than they did in this class where they, they're, they're supposed to be out from underneath that. that I, I get that you know that they didn't want to reach on kids. That's fine. But to me, 16 players, I mean, if there's the normal amount of attrition from a class, you're looking at a year, two, you know, three, four years from now where you might have eight seniors. Not good. Rippy, your thoughts? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of both there. Like I, I think because they did come in and immediately cut ties with a few in-state kids, so I do think there was some selectiveness there. And I don't think they're necessarily done yet. I think there's about three guys they're in on. It's 17 total plus two transfers, so you're at 19 total. You do are going to have the roster attrition. It's definitely a fair point regarding you know coming off of. Uh, you know, scholarship restrictions and all of that, but I, I don't think it was ideal. I think it's probably fair to criticize the staff for like closing the way they did, but also at the same time, I don't think it's like, like to me, I have a hard time making a sweeping assumption about this staff's recruiting acumen or right. lack thereof until 2021 because they made this whole deal about like he hired a pretty good staff, at least on paper and one that's kind of known for recruiting and he wants to expand the recruiting footprint. And whether they're able or not to do that, to me, a lot more will be told in 2021 than now. Uh, but at the same time, I do think they need guys. I mean, there, there's definitely areas they need to be addressed. If they, you know, I'll be interested to see 
what they do in the transfer market and what that number lands on in terms of how many guys they've actually acquired by next August. But 17 with a couple transfers is certainly low, but you still got, you know, Zach Evans out there. You have the two Florida wide receivers. It's, uh, it will be interesting to see what the next two weeks, two months kind of looks like, but definitely not an ideal close. But I, I didn't find it to be as huge of a deal as, as some made it out to be. But again, you know, they t- talked pretty big in terms of like kind of going and getting kids and, and going and flipping a couple kids. And they just did, I'm thinking four or five guys and they didn't really get any of them. So definitely yeah. not nothing, but I don't think also the sky is falling either. This is exactly- it's, as always, right? It's, it's in the middle. It's, yeah. It's, Truth it's, tends to fall, fall somewhere but in the middle. It, but it's also, they, I saw the, somebody use the word tactical and I was just like, come on. I don't, yeah, tactical is probably not right. I do think there was selectiveness to it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, I mean, it, it, 17 kids is 17 kids. Yeah. This Zach Evans talk- deal is, oh, go ahead, go is ahead. something. Uh, I mean, obviously a really talented running back, but, I mean, before signing day, he was ghosting SEC staffs, and now after signing day, they have no idea uh, – when he's going to sign, and now schools that have never been involved, like Ohio State, may be even involved in this deal. This is, I mean, people say it almost every year with at least one guy that, oh man, there's going to be a 30 for 30 written about this one. And usually it's just kind of how recruiting works, but this this dude's on a different level. Just one of those players that's, this is, this is uh, for Ole Miss and Mississippi State. There's really only two ways. Okay, there's three ways that those teams get out-of-state five-star players. One, they cheat. If, if either school signs an out-of-state five-star guy, it's it's fair to assume something was up. Two, they have a legacy situation. For example, if, if Dak Prescott's kid in 20 years is an All-American quarterback and he goes to Mississippi State but they live in Texas, you can't fault that, right? So Peyton Manning or, or Eli Manning would be a good example of this. And then last but not least, the kid is a head case. He has huge red flags. Those are the only three ways. But for the most part, those t- Mississippi State and Ole Miss, and that's true for a lot of different schools too. I, mean, I would say the same for Oklahoma State or Illinois or something like that. You know, your middle-tier power conference schools aren't going into other states and getting five stars. Now, if there's a Jeff Simmons or a, an A.J. Brown or somebody like that and they stay in state, yeah, that, that makes sense. But to go out of state – Usually there's a red flag of some sort, or it's a legacy kid. I, I did make somebody, a few people mad on Twitter, and it was, of course, when I was off on uh, my, my days off this week, when I said if Ole Miss or Mississippi State, either one, went into Texas and signed the number one recruit in the state of Texas, what would the reaction be? You tell me. They did it three, what, four years ago. And you remember what the reaction was. Yeah, of course I do, yeah. But well, that's the whole thing that's so stupid about college sports is people clamor for more parity, but then also kind of like pearl clutch when a non quote blue blood gets kids. Like newsflash, everyone is paying kids and everyone's cheating. Like you would think, like you if you actually wanted more parity, you would stop with the kind of old and tired narrative. Well, I do that, but only when it's in, it hurts Mississippi State. That's when I that's when I stop doing it. <laughs> the rest of the time, I'm yeah, like, yes, but- get them, dirty cheaters. But like the uh like I mean, but it's not even really just this state, but like a South Carolina or something like that, or like I, I'm trying to think of the last like 
school that saw an uptick in recruiting that wasn't necessarily a traditional one. I mean, Kentucky is kind of quietly putting together a little bit of a class like that, but like, it, I, that's how I have a hard time taking any of this that seriously. It's like yeah. you have people clamoring for more parity, but then at the same time, it's like, oh, why is that kid going to that school? He's paying it. As long as, like, as, long as no, their coach no. doesn't tweet anything about needing to go to compliance, everything should be okay. Yeah, that's the other thing about it is I don't think Kiffin or Leach or whoever is probably putting their compliance email out on Twitter. I just don't expect that'll happen. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you'll get the random 3 a.m. political tweet, but you're not going to get the come at me, bro, we're clean tweet. So that's an upgrade, if, uh, if nothing else. Speaking of the NCAA... The president himself may be weighing in on the name, image, and likeness thing. I'll give you the details next. Don't go anywhere. It's Sports Talk Mississippi. Looking for me when I came to. Bubba and Starkville will get to a couple of your texts here. He says, Rippy, what are you talking about? This is a bad start. Stop spinning it. All I'm saying is it's a big deal, isn't it? They've been down in numbers because of the probation, so I felt it was critical to fill a full class. Am I wrong? I was shocked that they did not sign more players because you are right. The staff is being known for good recruiters. That's Bubba and Starkville. Uh, a couple of things, Bubba. They are um, they are not shorthanded anymore. They actually caught got fully caught up to the 85 limit for last season. So it wasn't imperative that they signed 25, 26, 27 guys. They they tried. I mean, they would have liked to because they did miss on some guys. Uh, but they were not in a desperate need to get back to the 85. They are going to be a little, I mean, a few short. But that frees them up to explore the transfer portal, especially in the spring. But they were uh, they did catch up to the scholarship number they, last season for whatever that's worth to you. They signed thirty one kids last year, which was why I'm not I don't think that's a huge concern from a sheer numbers standpoint. Now you talk about momentum and building a class and getting talented players, whiffing on the kids they whiffed on, like certainly not good momentum wise, but I don't think they're going to be aching for bodies. Like if you ever go look at if you ever go rewatch a game and look at like the sideline in twenty eighteen, I mean they were going into twenty eighteen in games, in some cases, it's like 50-something scholarship players. I want to say it was around exactly 50 in the Auburn game and the South Carolina game in 2018. That's when you're really struggling for bodies. But they added 31 kids in last year's class. They got back up to a full allotment heading into last year. So I don't think it's like – like I, I guess I, where I would disagree is from a just pure number standpoint and having like able bodies, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Not great, but I, I, don't, I don't think that's going to cripple them. No, and they will explore the graduate transfer market for sure. But yeah, I mean, they. It, I don't think it's spinning it to say that it's not the end of the world, but also they did miss on some guys, and that you can't do that next year. You cannot have a class that's ranked in the 40s next year. Um, particularly when you, sorry, I was just going to add to that as you were saying that, particularly when you kind of tout this staff as a recruiting uh like recruiting as one of their greatest streaks. Like that seemed to be the basis of what he built the staff around. Yeah. And the numbers make the class ranked work ranked worse than it is. For example, uh, Arkansas and even Mississippi state, although the margin for that is, is much thinner ranked way ahead of Ole Miss, but the average player rankings actually higher. So it, it's just however you want to look at it or spin it, but uh, there's no doubt, and I, I'm sure they would tell you privately that, yeah, we, we missed on some dudes, and, and that can't happen next year. 
But the early signing period also throws a wrench into things. We had somebody tweeted us and uh, mentioned Freeze's first class being so poorly ranked. That was before they were signing 80% of the players signing in December. So it's even more difficult now than it was back then for Hugh. Although his Free- name didn't didn't resonate with anybody uh, when he was signing class his first ranked, class. Free's first class ranked 48 with 18 kids. He followed up with a top 10 class the next year. What was the rest of the story? What happened after that? I forget. So it sort of goes kids- back to what we were just talking about. Yeah, I mean... You had kids sleeping on Chris Kiffin's couch. It was horrible. You can't have that. It's just not done. Yeah. New defensive coordinator of the uh, Cleveland Browns, Chris Kiffin, by the way, I believe. Yeah, I kept getting asked if he was coming back here, and it was like, no. no. Uh, Speaking of that, did you see a Michigan basketball player wrecked his athletic director's <laughs> car? Yes. So I read into that story, and it wasn't It's not it as totally... bad as it sounds, but yeah. that happened. I did see the headline, I was like, that sounds pretty rough, but it ended up being, like, once I read it, I was like, okay, that's a little more understandable. What, he, the the athletic director's son was a manager and they were buddies? Yeah. Yeah. Some of that. Yeah, it's not, he took the athletic director's car for a joyride. You know, he stole the keys and was doing, you know, donuts in the parking lot or something. I teased it a second ago, here it is right now, the White House is weighing in on the name, image, and likeness debate. Reading from CBS, name, image, and likeness supporters may have a new advocate. The Trump administration, a White House spokesman, told CBS this week that the Trump administration is evaluating whether it be appropriate for the federal government to become involved with policy solutions. They sought comment from the administration after two sources said there had been at least one meeting between the Trump White House and individuals involved in developing name, image, and likeness rights for athletes. There's one legislature in particular uh, who was a former college athlete named Anthony Gonzalez. He played wide receiver at Ohio State. He's now a, a congressman there. And he's really heading up this, uh, this charge forward. And he's doing it, what I think, in a way that everybody can agree with. It's very... He's got five points, and one of them is eliminate the opportunity for bad actors to influence players have checks in place and make it all above board like they're really do are trying to do this the right way to where it's transparent and the athletes are still protected and they can still benefit from their, their name image and likeness while maintaining uh, NCAA eligibility so i assume that's one of the people involved in this because former athlete congressman from the state of ohio a state that politically uh, in an election year, the president's really going to want, you know, it all kind of adds up and makes sense. But a quote from a spokesman said, the White House wants to make sure the NCAA student-athletes are treated fairly without harming the integrity of college sports. Uh, Deputy Press Secretary said about the meeting, administration officials are in the process of learning about these issues as well as studying if it would be appropriate for the federal government to be involved in policy solutions. Um, a, A source, according to Dennis Dodd, a source close to him, said that there is a very real interest uh, between the two parties and the federal government getting involved in this deal. So uh, Trump, a champion of NCAA athletes, apparently, or at least could be moving forward. Will he stick to sports? It appears not. (laughs) This is where you can't avoid it, right? Like, I am 
very much in the camp of this is America and we're all free and you can do and say whatever you want. And it doesn't affect my viewership or the, like, I still watch the NFL after the Kaepernick thing. I thought he was a misinformed idiot, but it didn't stop me from watching football because I don't expect my athletes to be uh, the best and brightest and to shape the way I think about society. I've just never cared about what they say. But I think even with that being said, if you're a sports person, you should generally stick to sports. That's what people follow you for. That's what they consume you for. But times like this, you can't avoid it. I mean, this is a direct crossover with college sports and so just so happens the president of the United States. You can't get around it. I would love to see this kind of trickle its way into maybe one of the uh, presidential debates here in the next little bit. How much fun would that be? Oh, that would be awesome. Like, Mr. Sanders, your thoughts on paying college athletes? Well, you know, he's um, trying to stop Major League Baseball from restructuring the minor league system. Did you know that? I did I not did know, know that. that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's worth a read. Um, it's a long read and kind of confusing, but yeah, the uh, senator from Vermont, right, is yeah. uh, actively engaged in trying to stop Major League Baseball from potentially shutting down most of their minor league system. I guess there is a, a an effort behind the scenes to to really um, do cuts in minor leagues because they feel like they're not getting enough out of them. Oh, I didn't, and he's trying I, to I stop don't think, I don't think that's behind the scenes anymore. I just didn't know uh, Phil the Burn was behind it, or involved, I should well, say. Well, how do you? You must not have people read not all know. the platform yet. I guess it's a cool. It's all right. That you was uh, not when one of the talking points that I was emailed. <laughs> no, no. Uh, speaking of scandal, there is uh, new information coming out. Rippy read it during the break. I'm going to do the same thing because this story just broke. But involving the Astros scandal, these layers just keep coming out and, and keep getting deeper, and it turns out that uh, the immunity thing, because they were, Major League Baseball was afraid of grievances because the players didn't know what they were doing was against the rules, that seems kind of stupid now. New uh, reporting from the Wall Street Journal about a, a algorithm called the Code Breaker that Astros players used in their electronic sign-stealing situation. We will... Read up on this and give you all the details next because this story just, for some reason, will just, it's just not going to go away. And Major League Baseball, if this kind of stuff continues, uh, Major League Baseball is going to have an egg on their face. Is that yeah. fair to say? No, very fair. Very fair. Yeah, I haven't finished this story, but so far it seems to center around whether. Uh, General Manager Jeff, I think Lunhow, 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 but um, whether he knew about this thing, the software was called Code, or the algorithm was called Code Breaker, and he was basically claiming the whole time he didn't know about it. When it seems very clear he did, because he would walk in to the video department during games and say, "Quote y'all code breaking," but apparently did not know explicitly <laughs> about the algorithm. <laughs> so I, I have not finished the story, but it does not look good for uh, Mr. Lunhow. Oh wow. So we'll give you all the details next. Sports Talk Mississippi. Stick around. So this idea that, well, the Astros cheating didn't do a whole lot because they won all their World Series games on the road and lost their home games doesn't really hold up anymore. Reporting from the Wall Street Journal. New layer to the Astros cheating scandal. This is the headline. Dark Arts. And Codebreaker, 
the origins of the Houston Astros cheating scheme. Here's the lead. On September 22, 2016, an intern in the Houston Astros organization showed General Manager Jeff Loonhow a PowerPoint presentation that featured the latest creation by the team's high-tech front office, an Excel-based application programmed with an algorithm that could decode the opposing catcher's signs. It was aptly named Codebreaker. This is the beginning of what turned into one of the biggest scandals in baseball history through the 2017 season and for part of 2018 Astros baseball ops employees and video room staffers used Codebreaker to illegally steal signs, which were then relayed to the batters in real time. Another Astros employee referred to this system as dark arts. They would use this algorithm. They would look at the catcher's signs via this closed-circuit video feed and plug it into an Excel spreadsheet to where no matter what the opposing catcher did... They would be able to decipher what the sign was and then relay it to the players who would relay it to the batters at home, on the road, anywhere, anytime the Astros cheated for the entire 2017 season. Hmm. Well, I'm, I for one am shocked. I, I I can't believe that there's another layer to this scandal. I can't believe that it wasn't just a trash can. Who would have guessed? I just feel bad for like I mean, this sounds ridiculous in like if without any contest, but like the victims of it in terms of like like this did irreparable damage to you Darvish's career. It definitely altered the way we look at Clayton Kershaw. Like it just I mean this not to be too dramatic, but like this took like food off of people's tables like imagine the amount of just like middling relievers uh that are 4a players on a 40-man roster that just got wrecked by this team and got sent back to triple a over the amount of years i would love to see if anyone could actually track down how many people that happened to and like who was unfavorably what's the uh what's the 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 difference in world series winner share versus loser share you could put a true numeric value on how much money they cost the uh, I guess the Dodgers and who, who did they beat? Like, or I guess they lost the Nationals last year, but but still, I mean they 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 cost not that I and I you know me I got no love for the Dodgers, but talk about taking food off the table. They took money directly out of their pockets. It seems. Reading from the story, these people described the situation as a he said he said situation between Lundhow and Tom Coke Weezer, the team's director of advanced information, who sent two emails to Lundhow in 2017 that referenced the system and our dark arts sign-stealing department. Lundhow opened the emails but told investigators he did not read to the bottom of them, which is the reason he didn't know that this was going on. That's hilarious. And they bought the NCA would step in and be like, you know, sort of like the, the head coaching. I forget what they call it, but the, the coach is responsible for everything. This would be a, this would be a lack of institutional control kind of situation. I mean, there and not a, to mention. I mean, the, tri- the trickle down effect goes further than that because, like, that Dodgers started you Darvish in Game Seven of the World Series because they gave up so much to go get him at the trade deadline. Like they went out and got him for moments like that, so you didn't have to kill Clayton Kershaw's arm. He made two starts in the World Series and got ten outs. Like he probably would have benefited from the pitch I mean, from the hitters not knowing what's coming. Like just a hunch. 
We get a question here from the 662. Explain to me how they stole signs on the road. Do they have access to the center field camera on the road? And the story uh, actually explains it very well, so I'll keep reading. The way Codebreaker worked was simple. Somebody would watch an in-game live feed, so television broadcast, and log the catcher signs into the spreadsheet as well as the type of pitch that was actually thrown. With that information, Codebreaker determined how the signs corresponded with different pitches. Once decoded, that information would be communicated through the intermediaries to a base runner who would relay them to the hitter. Starting in around June of 2017, the system was embellished by Astros players. They started watching a live game feed on a monitor near the dugout and then would bang on the trash can to communicate the coming pitch to the batter. The banging scheme lasted through the World Series, which the Astros obviously won over the Dodgers. So they evolved. They, they were using the code breaker and only relying on players on base to relay the signal, and then the Astros players decided to take it up a notch and used the trash can banging scheme to do it every game all the time. Runners on base, not on base, home, road, no matter what, they did it. Classic case of nerds using their powers for bad and not good. Manfred said Lundhau was unaware of the banging scheme. It continued into 2018, not just at home, but again, on the road. Um, Lundhau acknowledged to the investigators that he recalled the intern's PowerPoint slide about Codebreaker and even asked questions about how it worked. He said that he was under the impression that it would be used legally <laughs> to decipher signs from previous game footage, not live in games. I'm trying to find that part that I had during the break. I've, I, I've got it here. I, I know reading's not great for radio, but guys, this story just happened, so we haven't had time to, he, yeah, to read it go. and bring it out to you. <laughs> he said, so after talking about it, he didn't think it, he didn't know whether like how what a, much about it or whether it was used. Said one how it sometimes entered the Astros video room during road games and made comments such as "You guys code breaking." <laughs> I think it hurt, dude. <laughs> I just. I mean, what are we doing uh, the, here? The arrogance this entire organization has showed through all of this is insane. I mean, the the video of AJ Hinch like basically calling the uh, Yankees paranoid babies, yeah, now looks just absurd. There's like, there's I, a let me mm. find it here. There's a thing going around today from Old Takes Exposed. It's a uh, it's an East Bay uh, cover with Alex Bregman on it. Let me find, see if I can find it. But it's 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 funny now. Here we go. Yeah, Alex Bregman on the cover of East Bay. Always earned, never given is the is the quote there. <laughs> hey. Oh man! And um, the initial PowerPoint presentation wasn't the only time he was made aware of Code Breaker. Uh, that uh, previously mentioned director of advanced information said he discussed personally Code Breaker with the former Astros GM on up to three meetings. After the 2016 season, everybody involved knew that this was going on. But if you're asking what today's important news is, it's the fact that they were using an algorithm and not just a closed-circuited feed uh, at home games. They were using the television feed on the road to relay signals. So the they only won their road games didn't uh, just doesn't hold up anymore. That's the important story today. 
One of them just came out here, too. Tom Verducci was speaking with A.J. Finch, and these are the quotes. I know the commissioner's office looked into this and determined there was nothing to it. Can you assure us there were no buzzers or anything like that being used? Hinch. Well, the commissioners, we got investigated for three months. The commissioner's office did as thorough of an investigation as anyone could imagine was possible. I know you mentioned about the emails and the text and the messages, and I believe it. That's not a no, A.J. That's not a no, or that's not a yes, there was nothing to it. It didn't happen. That's that's not what that was. So simply that. because it happened. Yeah. Oh, it oh, it happened, brother. I can't believe Major League Baseball was so weak on this. Yeah. Well, they weren't weak to two of them. But you remember the previous reporting, right? They were so scared of the investigation must have just been a, a terrible. If the Wall Street Journal knows more then Major League Baseball, after their investigation, that's a serious problem. I don't think they actually know more, but to your like, which I'm not disagreeing, I'm really just kind of underscoring your point. I just don't think they wanted to open up these can of worms. So you think they kind of wanted to hide it, in a way? Yeah. It's kind of like a... Hmm. Just faking due diligence, I guess, is the, the, the... For the lack of a better phrase. That would make because sense. Because this is... Is obviously not the only team that does this. I don't know if it. I I, I will be. I would be interested to find out if other teams actually uh, go to these links and it's this sophisticated. But I think this was they were kind of shedding light into an underbelly that they didn't really want to shed light into. And so I think that's probably what happened here more so than anything else. Texture says, "Wait a minute. If they could pick up the catcher signals, surely they can third base signals, and they didn't just use it for hitting." They knew a hit and run was coming. But that's a little bit more above board, though, because the third base coach cannot hide their signs. And unless you are on second base, you can't see the catcher's signs. And so it's more important that they knew what pitch was coming versus the hit and runs and stuff like that because you can pick up on that eventually just by existing in the game. In theory, a fan could. Well, there you go. Wild story. Taylorsville, Mississippi native Billy Hamilton just picked up a minor league deal from the Giants. Nice. Good. See how that goes. Good for him. It's Sports Talk Mississippi.
Super Talk Mississippi media production.